The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, if, if any of you all want to know the topic of my doctoral dissertation and you have interest in it, you'd be the first. Um, <laughs> my mom won't even read the book, but um, <laughs> some of these other books will be a little more interesting, I hope. But um, we're here talking about Mark, right? We're here talking about the storm. Um, this is probably one of the most vivid passages in the Bible. Everyone remembers it, right? I mean, if there's any verse or any, any section that almost literally seems to be Jesus take the wheel, it's this one. It's help, Jesus, you know, the storms of life. And there's lots of reasons to, to go that way. There's lots of people who would say, see it that way. But I think if you dig in with me into this passage, you'll see it's actually something different. The, the reason people misunderstand the passage is there's a couple of sort of echoes some other parts of the scripture that kind of bounce off of this, right? So the main one is, is the language of fear. If you've read Proverbs or if you've just heard the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, you know that fear in a Hebrew mind was not always a bad thing. There's a certain kind of fear, which is really more about respect and posture. It's I fear the Lord, meaning he's the, he's the Lord, I'm not. It's a, it's a, it's a posture thing. And so to, to fear the Lord is to begin the process of wisdom and maturity and those things. It's Proverbs. So at the end here, when it says they have great fear, and they say, who is this man, this kind of a thing, it's very easy to think that what's going on here is they've wisened up. That's not what the word means in this passage. In this passage, in this section, the fear is a freak out. Uh, which is why usually the text is translated into English as a great fear. Literally in the text it says, they fear to fear, which is, again, a very Jewish sort of way of going double up the word to make say, no, this is serious, y'all. Like, this is literally like the worst fear ever, um, and that type of thing. And they freak out. It's the same word used throughout the Gospel of Mark when people don't know what's going on and they're confused. It's the same word used of the women when they go to the tomb and it's empty and they think someone stole Jesus. It's the fear of, uh-oh, something's wrong. So why do they think something's wrong here? Wouldn't they be happy that the storm is gone? Wouldn't they be happy that this has been made right and they've been saved? Because notice, everyone always notices in the passage, they don't say we might die, they say we are perishing. It's a, it's a definitive statement for them. And they're fishermen, many of them, so they would actually know this. So wouldn't they be happy? Why are they fearful? Well, one of the tricks in reading the, the Bible, is, it, first of all, the Bible, to interpret it is not that hard. Um, it's like chess, 
I mean, I can play chess with my kids. I mean, you can go Bobby Fischer on it if you want and go really like deep into it. But you just need to know like some basic moves. It's chess. If you want to know a trick in the Gospels, I kid you not, a trick in the Gospels is just pull the lens back. So you read a passage like, blessed are the peacekeepers. Mm. What does that mean? Where does, how does, what does that come from? If you pull back the lens and look at the chapter, or look at the chapter before it, look at the chapter after it, the Gospels always balance things. Not all, I shouldn't say always. Very often there's some balance that you're looking for where you see things. So you know the story perhaps of the woman who gives her two widow's mites, her two little pennies onto the altar table, and Jesus blesses her and says she gave her whole life. She gave everything. Well, the passage right before it are of rich people who only give the bare minimum. And now there's a woman who gives two pennies, so Jesus is, in the Gospels, are contrasting. It's not the amount, it's the willing heart. It's the, it's the action. What do you think we're going to see when we see here? Well, if you go back to just before this passage of the storm, Jesus has been teaching. Where has he been teaching? From a boat. Ding, 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 ding. He's standing in a boat teaching. And he teaches these parables to folks. And they are, it says at the very end of it, if you go up to, uh, again, uh, same chapter, chapter 4, if you go up to verse 33, it says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. Now the them there is the people. It's the everybody. It's the crowd. So he he only spoke to them in parables, and it says as they were able, but notice, But privately, to his disciples, to his own disciples, he explained everything. You ever had a teacher that that doesn't explain things to you? Everyone gets mad, or they go, huh. Now, in this case, he's being taken by the crowds, probably more like a guru. You know, the sound of one hand clapping type stuff. They're going, ooh, that's very interesting. What does that mean? Do you want to go to lunch and talk about it? This whole, like, uh, idea of a mystery behind some of the teachings of Jesus at this point. To his disciples, he's done the behind-the-hand whisper. This means this. This means this. What does this make of the disciples? They're insiders. They know it. They know that as the crowds do not know, they have been given some deep insight. They've been told the truth. They're now the insiders. They're the cool ones. They think that they have the inside track. And then this happens. And after the storm couple of things Jesus does. He goes from teaching in a boat, being kind of like a Buddha, to he calms the storm, he throws out demons in a scene from what must look like Night of the Living Dead. This guy's breaking chains with his own hands, he's got demonic forces, he throws them into pigs, that's weird, the pigs run into the sea, double weird, and it happens. And everyone's like, okay. Then he was walking and somebody touches the hem of his garment, she gets healed of blood, which is an issue in the Jewish culture as you're unclean, so you're not allowed to be in worship. And she's just barely touching him, and she gets healed, and he feels it, and he talks about it, and he says, you have faith. Then he raises a girl from the dead while they're planning the funeral. This is weird. But what's it contrasted with? A man teaching in a boat, having lots of things to say, and people are mesmerized by it. And these disciples have the inside track. They think they're the insiders. In 1986, we have actually uncovered, in archaeology, a boat that was probably very much like the boat they stood in. It's a boat, the carbonating has it from between 40 AD to about 140 AD, roughly about the same time. It's in the Sea of Galilee, it had sunk, and it sort of 
rotted there, but not fully, so we, we pulled it up. It's actually in the museum. You can Google it. It's called the Sea of Galilee boat. It's on Wikipedia, and you can look at a picture of it. The reason that that's interesting is it gives us, again, a little bit of an impression as to what they were doing. The boat, now, again, Charleston's a lot like Jacksonville. You guys are boat people. You've at least been on a boat locally. Um, the Midwest folks, this might not ring as true. But boats matter for a couple of things. The size matters not just because it shows how much money you have, but it also matters in terms of the, the weather and its ability to take uh, waves and wind and these types of things. This boat, if you take the stage up here, not the back half that's a little bit wider, take the front half. That's about as big as this boat was. We would call that a redneck canoe where I came from. All right, it's not really all that sturdy. It's, much, it's very flat, it's, it's kind of like a skiff. Uh, and it actually would fit about like this wide around. So if you come up to the front, this is the what? The bow, and if you go to the back, it's what? The stern. So Jesus is in the stern, he's in the back. What's also in the back? The rudder, the things you, you do this, right? In the middle, there would be two rowers on either side. This is how they would propel themselves. Um, sometimes, you know, a lot of the pictures in art, you see them with big sails and things. Usually not what they used. Um, they would be rowing themselves. But as many as 13 people here, as my old coach used to say, that's just elbows and hellos the, the, in terms of room left. Um, you don't really have a lot here. But assuming that they're very tight, Jesus is where? In the back? Doing what? Sleep on a cushion. Now, notice, this is the only place in the entirety of the Bible that describes Jesus sleeping. No, he slept. I mean, there's times where he says he arose early in the morning, went out to pray. He certainly slept. This is the only one that mentions him sleeping. He always sometimes feels like the Energizer Bunny because the stories just seem to keep going over years. But this time he's sleeping. And it's an important fact. What's he sleeping on? A cushion. Do you think that they had lots of cushions in the first century A.D.? No. They didn't. We have cushions very much on our boats because we've invented something called Velcro, which is a non-chemical uh, 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 adhesive, and you can stick things on, and they won't go flying off the boat. Uh, or your kids won't throw them off the boat by accident, Lord willing. You don't have cushions in the first century very easily. Now, what the cushion was for and where it was kept, it was, it was kept basically under a box or in a box under the captain, as we call it, the captain of the coxswain's uh, seat where he would sit and kind of steer, under it was a cushion for the polywogs. Now, if you know that word, you've been in the Navy. The polywog, the tadpole, is the rookie. They're the person who is not necessarily been on a boat very much. Here's a cushion for you, buddy. I'm going to put a cushion down here for you. Now, in this case, that doesn't seem to be the case with Jesus is doing. He's sleeping on it. So what has certainly happened, though, is someone has gotten this cushion out, laid it down, and said, please, Lord, sleep. We'll take the boat, and we'll row to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Those insiders are helping now. They're taking charge. They're providing leadership. They're doing the things they're supposed to do. The problem is, is that the Sea of Galilee is nuts. From one side to the other, which is a span of about 30 miles, it goes from 900 feet below sea level to 3,000 feet above sea level. It's one of the most sort of amazing climbs in that sort of space. Those of you who have been to California, you know there's sort of similar things. You can go be on the snow or at the beach in the same you know, day kind of thing, or at least two days apart. This is much smaller, though. So what you have is, as you know in Charleston, as we know in Jacksonville and all throughout Florida, hot air meets cold air does what? Hurricanes, as we would call them. 
And actually, the word in this, the great storm, is the same word that could be interpreted as, in our language as hurricane. Now, these would be very short. It wouldn't, you wouldn't see it coming through a long tracker from Cuba up to our world, this kind of a thing. You wouldn't know it's coming. In fact, it would come on you very suddenly. The times it would come on you, anyone got to guess what time of day it might come on you worse? Night. As temperatures go more fluctuating, suddenly things start to swirl. You get, this is why they, they fished in the day or very early in the morning, and then they're like, we're out. Jesus, at night, says, let's get in a boat and let's go to the other side. And they're like, all right, you get on the cushion. We got it. They start rowing. Then this happens, the storm. At this point, the disciples have been the insiders, they've been the helpers, and they put Jesus on a cushion. They're trying to help him out so he gets rest because they know he's going to work hard when he gets to the other side. They're now rowing the boat. They think they're in co-leadership with Jesus. They think they're helping until the storm comes. And then what do they call Jesus when they wake him? Teacher. Now, in almost every case in the Gospels, when someone is called teacher, it is, when Jesus is called teacher, I should say, it is not a positive thing. It's a diminutive thing. This is, hey, teacher, you can stand in a boat. Can you get up and help us in a boat right now? It's an affront, actually. Now, it's not the worst affront possible. There's been lots of times in the Bible where people have spoken up to God and said a lot worse and gotten a lot harsher reaction. But this is, teacher, don't you care, Pollywog, get up. And that's when he stands up. And here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't take control of the boat. He actually takes control of the storm. He stands up, and he says to the winds and to the waves, this hurricane going on around him, two words, the same words you say to tantrum-throwing children. The two words in the Greek, now we translate it a bit, bit differently in different versions, but it's basically shut up, be still. Sit down, shut up, is what he says. These are the same words Jesus says sometimes to demonic forces. Shut up, get out. He says it to the winds and to the waves. Now that would be weird. I mean, it's like Lieutenant Dan weird. You're just yelling at a storm. Like, what are you doing? But see, the men in the boat are Jewish. They know their Old Testament. They know that throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, not a single person controls the winds and the waves. In fact, throughout the Psalms, on at least three or four occasions, it says only God controls the winds and the seas and the waves. See, a lot of the religions around Israel believed in kind of primordial nature gods, that they would be the gods of uh, springtime and fall. One god was essentially going to sleep or dying uh, while the, they were going into fall and winter. It only made sense. Things are going kind of death out there. Then that, that god wakes up and starts doing good things since you have spring. What's Jesus doing? By his own power, by his own strength, by his own authority, he says, shut up and stop. And it does. In fact, it's, it calls it, in a lot of passages, a great calm. That's that morning calm on the lake when there's not even a ripple that's happening. So imagine this noise, this, this chaos of the hurricane. Teacher, do you mind? Now it's glass smooth. And then he turns on them. And it's awkward. 
because they've just called him out. We were helping. They thought they were on the inside. They thought they got it. They thought they were providing leadership. They were performance-based by this point. They were going, yes, we got it. We're on the inside. We're going. And the second something hits, it's, what the heck? Why? And then he stands, does this, by his own power, by his own strength, and it's like, what? That's the fear. They've just reached out and, and tried to grab God and say, excuse me, wake up. I did stuff for you. Can't you see me rowing? Can't you see I got the cushion? What's going on? And he turns and says, don't you have faith? What's wrong with you? By the way, this is the, only, the first place. There will be a couple more, but this is the first place in Mark where Jesus rebukes the disciples. Just after, just after they've been called the insiders. What Jesus is saying and what the passage is pointing out because notice this, is not a, this was not written by eyewitnesses of the disciples. This is written by a disciple's eyewitness. This is written by Mark, who was a disciple of Peter. Peter was on the boat. So Peter's going, look, this is what happened. I'm going to tell you the truth. We screwed up. We did this. We yelled at Jesus. We said, what's going on, teacher? He stood up and did this. So they want us to get this problem, which is the insider problem. I've got it, God. I'm helping God. Look at me, God. I'm, I'm going to help. I understood my faith. I've, I've, I've gone to Sunday school. I've learned a few things. I even read a book besides the Bible books. Don't I get a star? And then what Jesus says here is what matters is that storm. Now, in, throughout the Bible, there are plenty of places where you're allowed to yell with God or yell at God. It's a, the, the difference here is very subtle, but you're allowed to yell, but notice sometimes when people yell at God, like, God's like, I'm sorry, excuse me? You know, the mom tone comes into that a little bit with, you, did you just talk to me that way? But sometimes they're like, God, and he's like, I know, I know, come here. What, what's the difference? Because this is clearly the one where he, they're getting rebuked, right? So what, what's the difference? The difference is this. When the storm comes throughout the Bible, whenever a storm of life metaphorically comes, the difference is, is when you go from why God, help God, I don't know God, to how dare you God? How could you God? What gives? That's the difference. Notice that difference. You've seen this in kids, you've seen this in friends. It goes from, look, I'm, I, you know, if, you, if it's your kids, you say, they say, help, ow, boo-boo, or like something dumb, like, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me. She's, you won't remember her in 10 years. It doesn't matter. That whole thing. You know, you know it's dumb, but you're like, oh, I know, I know. Yes, she was very important to you. Yes, yeah, the most important person. I know, you almost could have gotten married. <laughs> like, this whole thing. And, you know, you, you know it's dumb, but you're going to embrace that. Right? But you notice the difference when the kid says, No. I deserve this. I want an iPad. Give me an iPad. This whole thing. <laughs> that like fist shaking. That's the difference. What the disciples have done here is the second. They've done the teacher. Get up. Come on. And that's why he rounds on them. So yes, Jesus is the Lord of the storms. He's the one who calms them. He's the one you should cry out in anguish to. But maybe sometimes we're the insiders who think that we have it for God. We, we're doing it for God. We're helping God. We're there to perform for him. And it doesn't have to be spiritual things. Maybe you're proud of other things. But the reality is, is what goes on is you go, I got the boat. At least got one of the oars. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like one quarter, I'm, pull, I'm pulling with you, God. Yeah, it might look like you're going to sleep, but I'm pulling with you. 
until there's actually a storm, and then it becomes what gives. How dare you, God? That great fear they fear, in other words, is because they've been reawoken. They've been put back in the place where they realize that you're just the disciples and you don't really know anything even when you know something. You can know all kinds of things, but it doesn't mean you're that far inside. At the end of the day, you're still children. At the end of the day, you're still disciples. You're still the ones who screw up. And what God says is, I will let you row an oar, but don't think that you're actually holding the oar for me and helping me. I use this analogy a lot. I think I used it a couple years ago, so it's probably worn off. I can use it again. This is like doing yard work with your kids. You ever done yard work with your kids? Particularly when they're under, like, elementary, like the kids that were just up here. Do yard work with them today. It won't bless you. Right? They can't lift anything. They can't do anything. Half the stuff will hurt them. They will sweat and complain. It'll be, again, half as slow. So you'll be like, Yes, honey, let's, let's move the mulch bag. You know, let's just kind of, yep, that's right, that's great. That's how I normally would move it, very slowly, uh, dragging. Um, and you do this whole thing. And then at the end, after long hours that should have taken minutes, they go inside and take all the credit for the work. Right? That's what kids do. That's not unlike what Jesus is saying. I will let you help me because I like you. I love you. Why do I let my kids do yard work? Why would any parent let their kids do yard work with them, or any other type of work, by the way? Because you like being around them, and it's cute. Not because you need, thank you, honey, yes, please help me put the cake in the oven. Yep, that's right. Yeah, touch the hot thing, that's great. You know, this whole thing. That you know it's more of a chore than just doing it yourself. Why does God let us do it with him? Why does he let me stand up here and talk to you when he could just talk to you by himself? Because he loves his kids. And he actually lets us participate. But the problem is, is when you take the credit for it. When you start going inside and going, I'm on the inside. He spoke the parable to me. He told me what it meant. I'm not going to tell you, though. It's fine. You do this whole thing. And what ends up happening is, is this power play comes up. And you see that power play a lot with the disciples. I'm on the inside. I'm on the inner three. I can't even stay awake in the garden, but hey, I'm on the inner three. This whole thing. And the reality is, is that those who come after the story are the least likely candidate for the people who ought to be the insiders. The weirdo demoniac guy. And, and the implication there, by the way, is that he did stuff. He worshipped things. He, you don't just walk by and go, whoops, bunch of demons. You have to do things to get that bad off. And at the end it says he's in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is a posture of, you're the boss. I'm learning from you. He's not getting a stool and standing next to him going, guys, I was a demoniac at one point. Let me tell you what it's like. He's like, I'm just here to be with Jesus. A woman with the issue of blood and a dead child. All of these cases are people who don't believe that they have power, don't believe that they have the inside track. They don't even believe that they were part of the middle track on the inside where they at least heard the parable. They're in the worst crises of their life. But when they call out, when they need, when Jesus comes, he breaks the bonds of all that's controlling them, and he makes them children. So how do you take, what do you take away from this? What do you take away from it? People who are cocky almost never know they're cocky. People who think they're on the inside never see the swagger. 
The reality is, is you don't really see the mirror of how you are acting. And sometimes it's not even a posture, physical thing. It's just an inside thing. It's, I really nailed it for Jesus this week. I did so amazing. I put my hands up a little bit even higher than everybody else when I was blessing the kids. Like I did so, like this much difference than everybody else. You know, this whole thing. You, 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 don't, you know, that track runs in your head whether you think it is or not. It's in the background usually whispering little your importance to you. It happens to everybody. And you might say, well, no, 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 I'm, I'm trying to be self-deprecating. I don't think that much of yourself. That actually, believe it or not, can be the exact same thing. Because the reality is, is your self-importance is driving all of this. And either, and everyone has this at some level, some capacity. Your self-importance either says, I'm doing it, yay me. Or, I ought to do it, but it's not happening because of whatever circumstances. Therefore, I'm depressed and I'm self-deprecating. So the language of, I should be in charge, I should be helping, I should at least get noticed for the things I do, is always there for us. And the reality is, is what God says is, I know those things, I don't need you for them. The trick is not to stop doing them, the trick is is to stop doing them for the sake of credit. The trick is to be like the kid who does yard work with their dad or their mom who goes out there and says, I just like this. I don't care that it's 100 degrees. This is fun. That I'm with you, God. That I want to be with you, God. My littlest, uh, uh, you'll see him. My, my family's here. They'll come in the middle. Um, he's a little monster. Um, I've, I've turned the garage into a little bit of a workspace shop kind of thing, and we screw around. Um, you should see a three-year-old go into a shop with his dad. I mean, he wants to do everything. He's like, yeah, pull on the chisels, this whole thing. And he, he gets like a little belt, and he runs around. Does he actually think he's building anything? Nope. He just likes to be around me. That's the thing. So what Jesus is saying is you might be on the inside, but don't think you're rowing the boat. Don't think that you're in charge. Because when you think you're in charge, you do the teacher thing. Rather, use your talents Use all the gifts you've been given. Use whatever station of life you're in. And just have fun with it. Because God has given it to you. Christians aren't opposed to fun. We like fun in the sense of calling, in the sense of, this is what I'm here to do. This is what I'm good at. Do those things. But don't think that you're the one holding up heaven and earth. Because what God says is if you have faith, you realize that you you didn't give those things to yourself. You were given them. You were given your talents. You were given your situation in life. You were given all the things. So they're amazing, but they're not yours. And even the times when it seems like Jesus is sleeping, he's not in that sense that he has lost control of you. He is not the God who falls asleep. Rather, he is the one who can say to the storm, shut up and be quiet. All right, let's pray. Father, every single one of us can mess this one up. Every single one of us can believe that we're in charge, even that we are half in charge, or a quarter in charge, or a little bit in charge, or that you've given us something and only we can do this, so we must be extra special for you, or that we are a little bit better than the person next to us, or all those things. Lord, we don't need a big correction always, but sometimes in this case, I think we do. Make us be mindful, remind us that we are children. Remind us that the storm isn't there to make us angry or to destroy us. It's there to remind us that we're not the Lord of the storm. 
that only you can speak it away. And Lord, remind us of the joy of your kingdom. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.